Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 as we continue to study verse by verse through the book of Philippians. I've been loving our studies here together and then also connecting within our circles. I love our young adult group, been able to get to know them more and to hear their hearts and to receive insight and encouragement from how the Holy Spirit has been ministering in them and through them. So I, I pray and hope that you guys are also being used by the Lord to speak out and to share what the Lord's put on your hearts in those groups. Um, we know that here in Philippians, Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, and he loves this church. Uh, we're actually studying inductively this book with our interns and Jaylene, one of our interns. She's kind of like the free spirit hippie of the group. You know, we read it all and she goes, it just feels like a warm hug, you know, and I'm like, well put, Jaylene. It is like a warm hug. Uh, you read you read of Paul's affection for the church, right? And, and the church's affection for Paul, that they're in the chains together with him, that they're for him and that they're supporting him. And I love here that we come to a dear portion of this scripture where we really see Paul's shepherding heart. And so read with me here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. We'll read this together, and we'll pray, and we'll outline our time together. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. He writes, I implore Eodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Another word of prayer quickly. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that it is given to us that through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so I pray, Jesus, that hope would be spoken over our hearts and our lives and over the world. We also pray, Jesus, that your living word would live in us and that you would disciple us by your Holy Spirit unto Christ's likeness for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The goal of our evening today is to take this passage and the truths that we see and learn how to honor Jesus by being obedient to what the Word says. And to help us in that goal, I want to map out our time in three different sections. Number one, talking about the people that he addresses in verses two to four. Number two, the perspective that they're supposed to have. And the promise of peace through prayer, or prayer and peace, verses six and seven. So as we take these verses together, we'll read it, we'll add some commentary, and at the end, we'll have some application as we go into our discussion group uh, circles, our connect circles. So again, I implore Eodia, and I implore, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So it seems that there was some type of conflict happening with these two ladies, if you've ever worked with a group of people, a group of uh, you know, believers before, you know that we're all susceptible to the drama, right? Save the drama for your mama. Now, I love that Paul here, he has heard of whatever conflict is going on, and he writes to these two ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord. And you ask, what might these ladies have been in conflict over? 
Well, according to maybe some commentators and some church history, these ladies probably were deaconesses of the church, so ladies who served in the church, um, ladies who maybe helped out with some outreach type of things or planned some prayer meetings or church gatherings together. Maybe there was a difference of opinion on, on the philosophy of ministry, on, on how things should run or whatever. And I think it's so cool that the Holy Spirit doesn't exactly say what was going on to give it a broad uh, application for our lives today, that when we are not of the same mind with one another, what should we do? Well, I think we kind of have an insight of maybe what was happening by a look of their names. We know that there's power in the names in, in Scripture. Eodia means success. Her name means success. And Syntyche means happy. So maybe you can say that Eodia was maybe more task-driven, Maybe, maybe wanted the goal to be successful, that we, we're gonna just, we're gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna do it, we're gonna be just head on, we're gonna be successful. And maybe Syntyche is in the same team, and maybe she's looking at like, but our people are gonna die, they're gonna be so tired, they're not gonna be so happy. Maybe she's concerned a little bit more about the state of their spirit as the goals are being accomplished. And I can agree with both. Oftentimes I'm, I'm apologizing to my intern team because I'm task driven. And sometimes so task-driven that I forget that, hey, you're real people too with real issues, and I need to slow down and minister to those things as we reach the goal together. Well, whatever was happening, it was so important that they be of the same mind. Look at that word implore. He uses that word twice in the same verse. I implore Eodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind. This word implore means to, to beg, to ask for earnestly, to call together, to encourage. Like He's begging. This is strong language here. Um, this implies how important it was to Paul that, t- that these two ladies come back into unity. He says, I, I implore them to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I think that's the key, that last phrase, to have that same mind in the Lord. Because we see that phrase or that, that, that phraseology in or same mind in the Lord a couple of times in Philippians. If you want to write down these cross-references, Paul had been encouraging the Philippian church to be of the same mind in Philippians 1.27, where he writes, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So right out in chapter 1, he's he's saying, hey, if your conduct is worthy of the gospel, it's going to look like you having one mind, striving together for the gospel. He also writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we see that being of the same mind was something that Paul was um, already articulating to the church in Philippi. Maybe there was some drama getting back to his ears as he's writing this epistle in the Roman prison. Um, But we see that in these verses, that when we submit our minds to the mind of Christ, 
We are letting our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We looked at that word worthy before. Does our lives match up to the, uh, the importance and the beauty of the gospel? Well, part of that is being of one mind with one another. We also see that we, when we submit to the mind of Christ, we allow God to test our motives and our thoughts to see if they match up to Christ's. A lot of being uh, a lot of, of what being of the same mind in the Lord is is matching up where I agree with what Christ would say and what his heart would articulate and what is of him and what is of me and letting a go of those things that are of me and surrendering to the things that he thinks are right and, and, and what he articulates what is right. And this requires so much humility. This would require so much humility for Eodia and for Syntyche, maybe these ladies who had a reputation of the church of being deaconesses. They would need to humble themselves and humble themselves to one another under the same mind of Christ. And, and I think about us. You know, we, we all have experienced that drama. I love, I love working with the intern program because they're investing in their relationship with the Lord. And there's that healthy sanctification through the, the interactions with other people. And there's drama, right? And I just come to, like, uh, to expect it, right? And I think it, it's wise just to expect, hey, if I'm working with sinful people, hey, there's going to be some drama, all right? But what do we do when we're at odds with one another, I, I, I've, I've just had a kind of a conversation with some brothers that we didn't see eye to eye, and, and I had to ask myself, and I think these questions are wise to ask ourselves when we're not of the same mind with one another. I have to ask myself, according to those verses that we just read, is there any selfish ambition in me? Is there any conceit? Am I walking in lowliness of mind and esteeming others better than myself? In this disagreement, am I looking out for others' interests or trying to protect mine? And again, when we don't have that same mind together, we both, both parties, need to submit their minds, their thought processes, their heart inclinations unto the Lord's to receive His. When two people or a group of people who are at odds and and they both strongly disagree, who should submit to who? What plan should prosper? What mindset should prosper? The answer is both people, both groups need to submit to the mind of Christ and Christ's mind, his heart, should prosper. As he writes this letter, it it, it seems that maybe these ladies have tried to work things out. Syntyche maybe is is trying to get Iodia's attention and Iodia is trying to get, and they're just not seeing eye to eye. And Paul writes, you know what? I need to actually have someone else step in. He says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so maybe these two ladies were so stuck in their position that they needed an outside source of wisdom. And I I love just the beauty of the body of Christ in that way. Because success in the ministry, that's beautiful. Having people happy in the ministry, that's beautiful. Maybe that's where the two ladies were at. But maybe they needed a help. They, and Paul needed, they, 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 they needed some help. They, he saw that they needed some help. He said, help these women to be of the same mind. And that requires time and patience and love. And, and really thinking and giving other people the benefit of the doubt, you know. Not judging their motives or, or judging their heart, but by being present with them and bringing in godly counsel of what 
is the mind of Christ, what he has already revealed, and, and, and what plans should prosper, again, reminding them that Christ, his plans, his heart, his plans should prosper. And he's writing to this true companion. Now, it's interesting. We don't know if he's talking to Timothy or to Silas or Epaphroditus. I was looking at different commentators. Who is this true companion? And everyone is kind of split. It could be any of these guys or it could be none of those guys. But, it, but the principle still stands. Sometimes we need to call in some backup. And I'm so thankful for the men and women in my life who I can call for backup. And I'm so thankful that they can point me to Jesus Christ. And maybe an encouragement for us, too, is, is to have people on call that are backup, you know, to call out your blind spots, to encourage you to have the mind of the Lord, uh, people that you can open up to and be totally humble with and admit, like, I'm not the standard. I don't know what's going on, so help me understand what's going on. And maybe you should be that person that people should call up for backup. But notice that these two ladies, man, they weren't just any, any of these ladies, but they labored with Paul. Paul thought about these ladies and, and, and probably had some, something in his mind. Well, I remember when we did that together for the Lord. I remember when we, we labored together for the Lord. And it hurts my heart to see them at odds together. They, they were in the trenches with me in the gospel. And it hurts my heart. It grieves my heart. And it's a picture of Christ's heart. When his children are fighting against one another, right? It grieves his heart. So he's calling in for backup. Hey, co-laborer, my fellow worker, you know, help these women to be of the same mind. And why? Because it says all of our names, all of our fellow workers are recorded in the book of life. Oh, man. When we take a step back and realize who we're arguing against, we're arguing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And why have temporary problems when we're going to be together for eternity? Man, all of our names are written in the book of life. If we said yes to Jesus and he's the Lord and Savior of our lives, guess what? All of our names are written in the book of life. Isn't it so silly to not have that, that unity here on earth, that sameness of mind here on earth? Well, again, that requires a lot of humility and patience and understanding. But I, I love his exhortation. We're all part of the, the, the family of God. All of our names are written in the book of life. And I think he's bringing in that big perspective to remind them, hey, you have a part to play, they have a part to play. Even though they might be in drama right now, they are still a part of the body of Christ. They still have their names written in the book of life. We're all part of the family of God. I need them, you need them, and I would say for us, I need you, you need me. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. And again, I'm always so thankful for the men and women who have helped me to conform to the mind of the Lord. I think Christian maturity says, I don't have it all together. Like Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, I haven't attained. I'm not already perfected, but I press on. And I'm so thankful for the people to help me press on when I'm so blinded by my pride, by my arrogance or whatever, to lovingly say, hey, Aaron, that's not right. And I'm so thankful that they had uh, that deep love for me to confront me in that. And I know sometimes we're like, I don't want to be a part of their mess. That's their mess, right? But sometimes it's like, wait, we're all part of the body of Christ. And what would Christ do? Christ would enter into the mess and help bring the solution, right? I'm so thankful again for the men and women that have helped me to conform to the mind of the Lord. And, and again, when we have those maybe opportunities to confront with one another, we have to have that heart of restoration and confrontation, right? We confront with a heart of restoration. And I'll say this, if, if God's heart is for unity, where do you think the enemy might attack? 
in our unity, right? If the Lord loves the family of God and he loves unity in the body of Christ, I so believe that the enemy has specific strategies and and, and tactics to divide and to conquer. You know, the enemy loves sowing division. He loves seeing the kingdom of God and the people of God be divided. And if you're seeing that, maybe in your, in your circles or in your spheres of influence, especially in the body of Christ, maybe you have a part to play, just like this co-laborer, to help these two people have the same mind in the Lord. That could be a scary thing. But hey, if God's going to call you to it, he's going to see you through it, right? And I love what Pastor Tyler Bequette says. He says, Christ-like confrontation brings clarity. Christ-like confrontation brings clarity. When I confront a situation with Christ's heart of restoration because of love, it brings clarity to what's happening in our hearts, in our minds, where we're off in our hearts, where we're off in our minds, and it helps us to be conformed to the image of God. Having those hard conversations isn't easy, but I see the manifold wisdom in it. That in one kind of setting, other things of my heart are revealed. All, all, some other things in my mind are revealed. Have you ever had that? Like you're being confronted about one thing, but all those other things lead to other things. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know, right? And it's like, wow, the, the wisdom of God in using this one situation to impact so many different parts of my heart. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for the body of Christ. Because I, I, I don't want to have any blind spots, right? We, we don't want to trip other people up in the name of Jesus. We want people to thrive in the name of Jesus. So he's talking to these people. We're all written in the book of life. We all have a part to play. Help these women, these two deaconesses, perhaps, to be of the same mind in the Lord. He also says this. Have this perspective in verses 4 and 5. And it's interesting that these couple of verses follow after maybe a little bit of the church drama and the tension. Because I always see these other verses kind of separated from the context. But understanding the context of it actually helps it have a little bit more power. He says in verses 4 and 5, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And remember Paul's situation, right? As he's encouraging them to rejoice in the Lord. He's in prison, right? He's in jail. And he, he's writing to his fellow companion. He's writing to Eodia. He's writing to, to, to Syntyche. The Holy Spirit is writing to us that even in the drama of life, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This word rejoice is to be glad. And it's so interesting that this word is written in the present active imperative voice. So this is kind of Bible college here, but we can get this, okay? The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is a very specific language. To rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice, is written in the present active imperative voice, which means this verse can be translated, you continually and actively rejoice in the Lord. This is a command and not a suggestion. And again, notice the key phrase here. Rejoice in your circumstances. No, no, no. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. There's a double urgency in rejoicing in the Lord as Paul writes this twice. And again, why rejoice? Especially in the context of all the drama of these two ladies who should be serving the church and they're at odds. Why why rejoice? This is not a comfortable situation. Well, we rejoice because... God is the one who's still on the throne. 
right? That even in the situation, even in the drama, the Lord is the one working out all things for his glory and our good. Why rejoice? Because I think he's even thinking about what he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I've come to learn in my own Christian walk that apart from these awkward circumstances and situations, there's part of Christ's likeness that can't be developed inside of me. That he uses those tensions of life, the drama, the relationship things, to conform in me Christ's likeness. And so I can rejoice. Hey, God, you're just being faithful to complete me. Yes, this hurts. <laughs> yes, this drama is not fun. Hey, but if this is how you want to complete me, I'm the potter. Uh, sorry, you're the potter. I'm the clay. Sorry, rewind that, okay? You're the potter, I'm the clay. You do whatever you want to do in my life. To rejoice in the Lord and, and, and not in the circumstance is to be glad that the Lord is above all, in all, and he knows all. To rejoice in the Lord means to get vertical in our thinking. And again, notice it's not rejoice in your circumstances. Why? Because our circumstances change. And if our joy is tied to our circumstances, we're going to be like this, all over the place. And maybe that describes your Christian life. And maybe the Lord's trying to say, hey, put your hope, put your joy in me and not in your circumstances. To also rejoice in the Lord is to see things the way God sees them. It really is bridging in those two thoughts. It's allowing Christ's mind to be your mind and that mind to impact all of our interactions, our thoughts, and our conduct, even in those specific circumstances. And to rejoice in the Lord isn't hiding from reality, you know? I think sometimes like, people are like, you're a Christian, like Christians are just living in this la-la land, right? No, man. I mean, to rejoice in the Lord is not to, to hide from reality. It's confronting reality with all of its hard situations and still saying God's still on the throne. And he's still good, and he's still in control, and his heart is still for me, and he's working out all things for his glory and my good. So we're supposed to keep that perspective, of having that joy in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Then it says this in verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Who is he writing to? Syntyche, Iodia, Clement, his fellow worker. Maybe he's saying, hey, don't, re- don't react to the situation. Just respond in gentleness. What's our first instinct sometimes when we're confronting that drama? We're, 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 everything's crazy, so I'm just going to add to the crazy, right? He's like, hey, 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 just rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. What does that phrase mean, the Lord is at hand? It means the Lord is present. He is near. He's right there with you. I can be gentle with my interactions with people and helping them to be of the same mind because Christ is also in the situation. He's right at hand here. He, he's in the midst of this situation with me. The Lord is at hand. He is present. He is near. And notice how this perspective of rejoicing and, and letting our gentleness be known to all men and that perspective of the Lord is at hand, how it impacts the next couple of verses here, talking about prayer and peace. He says, the Lord's at hand, so be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love bridging those two thoughts together as Paul's writing, as the Philippian church is hearing it, and also for us today. When we realize and have the perspective that the Lord is at hand, we can be anxious for nothing. And the command here is be anxious for nothing, and nothing means nothing. Now, I want to create a distinction here. Having anxious thoughts isn't a sin. But living in those anxious thoughts is. Oftentimes, anxiety can be a good trigger that something's off and I need to readjust or I'm being warned of some danger. And that anxiety is going off because I need to readjust and reevaluate my decisions. But for me to live in that constant state of anxiety where I'm being ruled by fear and maybe the unknown, Paul would say, be anxious for nothing. But in that, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why can we be anxious for nothing? Well, because we have a Heavenly Father who knows us, who loves us unconditionally. He is kind. He is in control. He's forever faithful, and He's at hand. He's so accessible here. Being anxious is is almost neglecting uh, God's promise of, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, because when we live with that truth, it's like, whoa, whoa of course, why, why would I be anxious? If the creator of the universe is at hand, if he's here, if he actually dwells in me at, from, as by the Holy Spirit and into my heart, why should I have that overwhelming anxiety to live and control my life? He says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Hey, we can have access to God's peace when we pray. We can be anxious for nothing by, by in everything, being in prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is communication with God, right? So in everything, have that constant communication with God. This is our ticket to having his peace. As we pray, then we address our supplications, our specific needs. And as we address those specific needs, we practice the attitude of gratitude, which is thanksgiving. It's, Lord, here's my prayer. I need help in this. That's my supplication. But also, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing now, and the promise of what you will do later. It's that thanksgiving that really helps you enter into that realm of faith as your prayers are being lifted up. And and I think a lot of Christian maturity, you know, transforms our prayers from just, I need, I want, I need, but into, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. I've seen in my life, you know, uh, walking with Jesus, it was always very selfish in my prayers. I had a prayer journal, right? And it's a good practice to have prayer journals. So you write down requests, and when the Lord answers it, you kind of put how it happened and the date. It's really cool to look back. But it's kind of cringy looking at my prayer journal in the past. I'm like, I'm like, who are you, you little needy little teenage girl? You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. But then you see my prayer journals now where it's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. And I'm like, wow, Lord, that is so cool. How, how you transform us in our prayers. And I want to encourage you with this, you know. If your prayer life is dominated with, I need, I want, I need, I want, that's okay, you know. But, but learn to already practice that attitude of gratitude. Lord, even if I don't have any other answered prayer, you're still enough. 
The cross is still enough. And I'm thankful for what you've done and who you are. Let that transform. Let that transform your prayer life. He says, let your requests be made known to God. So your prayers, your supplications, your thanksgiving, let them be known to God. And it's not that God doesn't already know. It's just inviting him, it's inviting him to have his way in your circumstances. It's really coaching your own heart. It's that self-talk, right? That the Lord already knows all of my requests, but it's just for me to know that he knows. And that when he does answer those prayers, it's not like, oh, I didn't know how that happened. Like, no, the Lord is faithful. He's at hand. He heard me. He's hearing me and he's working. And guess what? As we do that, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love this this word peace. It's freedom from worry. It's a picture of heaven. But also that heaven, that picture of heaven right there is also accessible for us today. That's why he writes, as you pray, as you address your needs, as you are uh, lifting up your thanksgiving, this peace, this peace of heaven can be accessible for you today, right now in your circumstances, freedom from worry. And notice that in the Lord we have peace that surpasses all understanding. And I think it was Pastor Rob who says it, we don't get peace from understanding, we get a peace that surpasses understanding, right? It's not like, I'm, I, I know how that works, that's why I have peace. I have all full understanding. No, it's like, I have no idea how this works. But I'm walking in the Lord's peace, and it's amazing. And so sometimes we want to try to figure it out, you know, get peace by understanding. No, it's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's like, I don't know how I'm alive today. I don't know how I'm doing this, right? But it's God's peace that is carrying me through. And I love the promise that as you do this, he will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Just pay attention to that word will. It speaks of a future reality when you pray. This requires faith and obedience. How will, you, how will your heart be guarded and your mind be guarded in Christ Jesus? It's when you pray. And I love looking as we close here, who is our guard? Who is the one guarding our hearts and minds? It's Christ Jesus. He is the one to guard our hearts and our minds. And guess what? Jesus is really good at his job in ministry. I can trust him to guard my heart and my mind. So therefore, I will pray. And I'll pray with boldness. And I'll pray with thanksgiving because I want him to guard my heart and my mind. God's peace is experienced when we pray to him. We talked about a lot of things, but in closing, before we get into our groups, we talked about, you know, the, the, the people, a little bit of the drama, the perspective that we're supposed to have, and, and the encouragement to pray to access God's peace. I say, in, in all of that, humility is the key. When we humble ourselves, even in our differences, to get the mind of Christ, we receive the mind of Christ. When we humble ourselves and step away from our throne of, of our understanding, we see that with the perspective, oh, God's in control. I can be gentle. My, in my affairs of dealing with life, I can be gentle. Why? Because the Lord's at hand. It takes a humble mind to admit that. And, and when we humble ourselves in prayer, Lord, I don't have it all. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Man, it's, it's, that, it's when we do that that he guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Humility is the key in all these different things. And as we break off into our discussion groups, we're going to talk about those, those different people and the characters that we talked about. But as we break off into our discussion groups, maybe ask yourself, by God's grace, knowing what I just read right now, I will, and fill in the blank. Is it a relationship that needs to be reconciled? Is it taking some time to 
recenter, to gain that perspective? Is it I will go to bed earlier so I can wake up earlier to have more time in prayer, to access and walk in God's peace? You know, there's a, there's a, a, a real warning in Scripture that if we're just hearers and not doers, it makes us into fools, right? So I want you to, to, to take what we we've, we've have been learning through Pastor Rob and Tyler, and how, how does this apply to my life? What can I do today to help me better walk in God's ways tomorrow? So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to dismiss us into our groups to have fruitful discussion. Lord, we thank you that you are here. Lord, your word says that you are at hand. Thank you, Jesus. I even love that, 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 that picture that you're at hand. It's, it's because you're holding our hands. You're holding our hearts. You're holding our minds through Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, that as we enter into a time of discussion, that you would use the body of Christ to even speak in prophetically into our lives, to speak into the deep parts of our heart where we need to be conformed to Christ's likeness. I pray, Jesus, make the scriptures come alive to us, that we may live them tomorrow for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome.